Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Well, welcome to 2020, everyone. We are starting off this year with a brand new sermon series called Souls to Save. I have been super excited about this sermon series for a while, actually. I've been praying hard about what comes after Christmas. And for a few months now, I've had this idea stirring in my soul, the souls to save idea. And I I believe God has a fresh new word for us as a church, a right now word for us as a church. But let me start here. Christianity is full of what seem like contradictions. Right? Maybe some of you have gotten stuck on some of these in the past, or maybe it was a stumbling block for you before you fully believed, but full of what seem like contradictions on the surface. I am a sinner, guilty, but saved by grace I don't deserve. Tougher concept to fully embrace and understand, right? I am God's perfect child, but... Born with a guilt, I have no power to wipe clean on my own. I am imperfect, but a perfect God uses me for his purposes. I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. How is that even possible when I still feel and look the same? Right? Or I am born again. Very simple concept in Christianity, and yet it doesn't make physical sense, right? To an outsider, these things seem to make no sense, and yet they are true. And I think it's incredibly important that we hold both truths together as one in our soul. We must both remember the shame, the pain of being a sinner, and feel the freedom of walking in that grace that we are saved by. How do we hold on to both? You know, our, our culture doesn't understand this. Now more than ever, maybe, maybe we are incredibly polarized, divided, or separate, and we don't understand anything that's in between. Our, our culture says you must pick one, right? Politically, it's you're a liberal or a conservative, you're a Democrat or a Republican. There is no in-between, and we don't understand people who do some of both. Or agree with some of both. That just doesn't make sense to our culture. Or spiritually, our culture is fine with you loving all the gods or none of them. But it doesn't understand choosing one doesn't make sense to our culture. Our culture morally says you must accept all love or none of it. We, We don't understand how you can pick and choose. You're a hater if you only choose certain love and therefore you must be hated. It doesn't understand anything that is nuanced or, or complex. We've reduced all belief systems to what can fit on a bumper sticker. We don't understand anything more than that. Even our economy is sort of becoming one or the other. You're either rich or you're poor, and money is either dirt cheap or, or super expensive. Same with clothing. and We're sort of losing our malls and department stores and our middle-class stuff, right? So... I'm just saying it's happening and it's no wonder that our culture doesn't understand things that are both and or in the middle, 
somewhere. And yet the kingdom of God is not usually this or that, but this and that. It's both. It's all of it. I was born into sin through no fault of my own, but I am also a sinner and therefore guilty. I am a sinner, daughter of sinners, but I am also a child of God, heir to a spiritual kingdom I cannot yet see. Both are true. I am imperfect, but a perfect God still chooses to work through me for his purposes. I am a new creation. The old has gone, even though sometimes it feels like the old is threatening to take over again. They're both true. We are parts of one body as the church, all acting independently and completely unique, but working toward a common goal with one spirit. Throughout history, God was trying to teach humanity that he is good and that he sees more than we do, that he is so much bigger and he sees the whole picture. He did that with the law before Jesus, right? The law was there to show us our shortcomings and pull us back to a God who has no shortcomings. Jesus came to fulfill that law and build a new way. But even the people he spoke to 2,000 years ago couldn't understand that either. So don't think our culture is totally unique, right? They couldn't understand that it, it can be any other way than one or the other. Either Jesus is against the law or he's for it. Which is it, right? But it wasn't either or. It was both and. He was both for the law and giving them a new way. He gave us a new way. And I believe this is the message of the New Testament, the entire message of the New Testament, both reminding us to look back and feel the shame and the pain of being a sinner and teaching us how to walk in freedom. It is both. And maybe this isn't news to some of you. Right? Some of you are new at this. It's all brand new, and you're learning this for yourself for the first time. But some of you are like, yeah, duh, we get this. This is the gospel. Moving on, right? Listen, this may be a reminder for you may not be a a new lesson. It may be a reminder for you personally. But I still hope you're taking notes because I believe God is going to begin to put people in our lives that are not just people in our lives. I believe God is going to begin putting assignments in our path. People are not just people, they're assignments. And I believe you are going to have to understand the gospel so fluently that you can speak it to others. Not that you're delivering people to me at church, getting me to speak the gospel to them as your pastor, but that you can speak it. Because it might not be my story that helps someone. It might be yours. It might not be my words that pull people out of the darkness. It might be yours. And you will have to understand the gospel to the point that you can speak it fluently. We are a kingdom of priests. It's not just me, right? I believe it's it's imperative that we understand, accept, and fully embrace this message God has given me today and for the, the rest of this month, this souls to save message, because we have to move in to our purpose as the church. I believe 2019 was about learning who we are, this identity that God has given us, that we are vibrant, passionate, and selfless. But it doesn't end there. 
And 2020 is going to be a year of learning how to move into our purpose. Who we are feeds into what we do. It's not the other way around. We don't find our identity out of what we do. We do based on who we are. And you are incredibly important to God. You are desperately loved by God. And you are put on this planet for a reason. I almost called this series You for a while. I did not know at the time that there was a popular Netflix series by the same name. <clears throat> but it is, it is so much about who you are. You are incredibly important to God, desperately loved by God, and put on this planet for a reason. And if you accept those three truths, you must also naturally, inevitably, ask some questions of them. Right? If you accept that you are incredibly important to God, the natural question that flows out of that is why? Why would an all-powerful creator of heaven and earth be interested in little old me? If you believe that you are desperately loved by God, again, the question is why would he, a perfect, holy, pure God, love me? Because I happen to know me <laughs> and I'm not perfect in any way. And if you believe that you are put on this planet for a reason, the natural question is, what's that reason? And how is he going to accomplish it through me? I believe Ephesians 2 has some of the answers for us. And we're going to read most of this chapter today, starting in verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. His masterpiece. He has created us anew. Because even though, as we learned in this past series, that our plan, humanity's plan, has been written in the stars for years and years and years, God is still always doing a new thing. And he planned it long ago. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. Doesn't that describe religion to a T? In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world 
without God and without hope. I used to be an outsider. You used to be an outsider. You know, as I was reading through this, I questioned for a while, why would God focus so much on the past? If this is a letter to the church of Ephesus from Paul. And he spends a good chunk of this letter. I mean, that was a lot of writing. There wasn't typing back then. He put a lot of work into reminding them of the past. Why? It's not like they're celebrating the past either, as we did last week. Right? Celebrating all the good things God has done, thanking him for it. He's reminding them that they used to be outsiders, that they used to be dead in their sins. Why would he spend so much time reminding them? And then I remembered that the gospel is actually nothing without this part. The gospel story is nothing without this part because we have to come to the realization that we were sinners, that we are sinners, that we cannot do this on our own. Many of you can still remember your salvation moment, right? The moment that you were preached the gospel to and you radically changed your life and accepted Jesus for the first time. And I bet that gospel message had this element to it as well. At first, the preacher had to convince you that you cannot do this on your own, right? That left to my own devices, I go back to sin and selfishness every time, and it pulls me down, and it's not until I accept something greater than myself that I can be free of that. That's part of the gospel message. It's not the whole part, but the gospel story is actually nothing without this part. Because as an outsider, I have no purpose. I'm stuck in my sin and selfishness and deception. And I cannot claim the promises of God. As an outsider, I am born into certain inclinations towards sin. Things that aren't necessarily my fault generational curses have been passed down. I, I was taught to do things a certain way by my mother and father. I, I'm not at fault for this stuff. Alcoholism just runs in my family. I'm just I'm inclined to be prideful. That's how my family is, right? We use all of these excuses, and they're not really excuses. They are truly passed down. We are born into sin, but it doesn't mean you have to stay there. In fact, he goes on. I used to be an outsider, but verse 13 says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers 
and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You have been united. I used to be an outsider, but now I am united. Important truths to remember, and I believe we must hold them both together to remember who we were before Jesus. Why do you think Paul reminds the church of Ephesus so many times who they were before Jesus? And not only that, but he says, look, it's not anything you did, right? You have not earned salvation. God gave it to you as a gift. It's because it's easy to forget, surprisingly easy to forget. We start jumping through the hoops of religion, right? We show up to church, we pay our tithes, we serve in kids' ministry, we check all the boxes, and then we think, okay, I deserve this now. I've been good for a while, right? God can bless me now. I I deserve salvation. I'm working for it. But that's not actually how it works because nothing we could ever do could make up for every selfish thought we've ever had every lustful thought we've ever had, every action that we've carried out on those thoughts, we could never possibly pay that debt. That's why God sent Jesus to pay it for us. He was the perfect sacrifice. He paid it for us. Now all we have to do is claim his sacrifice and it covers all that stuff and walk in freedom. There's nothing that we could do to earn it, but we don't have to. So stop living like outsiders, right? That's who you used to be. Now you are united. But unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to look the same, talk the same, walk the same, wear the same clothes and shoes, right? Unity is not uniformity. In fact, that's more legalism, telling everybody how to act and behave and what to wear. It's not what we're about. We don't have to look the same and talk the same. In fact, we should embrace our diversity, but walk with one spirit through the same Holy Spirit under Christ Jesus, all using our own gifts and talents and uniqueness to win more people to Christ. Paul is speaking to a church that's very polytheistic in culture, meaning they liked a lot of gods. They had a lot of gods. In fact, Ephesus, the city that this church was planted in, was a huge city, and it was sort of the epicenter for Roman and Greek gods. If you read through the book of Ephesians, you'll start to see a theme emerge. Paul constantly talks about one God, one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. It's one. He's pulling them all into one, because what they were doing, they were allowing culture to permeate church culture, And they were taking a little bit of God, Jehovah God, the God of the Jews. They were taking a little bit of that and then a little bit of a Roman God and then a little bit of a Greek God. And this was actually normal in their culture. They would go around to various temples. There was a temple on every street corner practically, but they were all to different gods. And they would take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And just in case Jehovah God wasn't real, I'm going to go worship these other ones too right? Just to get all the prosperity in my life that I can. Or maybe they'd go to a fertility God when they needed that, and they couldn't quite put all their eggs in one Jehovah God basket. Couldn't quite 
trust that he has all their needs. And so Paul was trying to bring them back to the realization that we are one body. But you can't keep taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and expect to still be united under Christ Jesus. He is all you need. There are no other gods that hold anything for you anymore. You have everything in Jehovah God. Jehovah actually means I am. Do you know it's only part of the many names we have for God? Jehovah Rapha means I am the healer. Jehovah Jireh means I am the provider. Jehovah, when we call God Jehovah, it's because he said I am, meaning I am whatever you need me to be when you need me to be it. I am. We get to fill in the blank because he wants to be there for us and provide for all our needs according to his riches and glory, not just the one that we need at that time. We can trust him with our needs. That's what Paul was trying to convince them of. But we often do the same thing. I mean, we may not call them by their Roman and Greek God names, but we take a little bit from the world and a little bit from Jesus. And I don't really like that part of Christianity, so I'm going to go take this part. Instead, we just pick and choose what we want from God. That's not how it works, and it's part of the reason we as a church get dysfunctional sometimes because we're not all completely united together serving one God, one faith, one spirit, one baptism as one body. We have to be united and we have to stop acting like outsiders. Now I, when I was planning this message, I thought surely it would be about you and your gifts and talents and, and your identity in Christ and what God has gifted you with. But then I felt a sort of shift and maybe the purpose is really more about the souls to save, like our, who we are and then what we do out of that. And I knew I was still missing a piece. And so yesterday afternoon, I sat in my office just praying, God, I, 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 technically the sermon's completed, but like, I feel like I'm still missing something. It was right here in front of me this whole time. Unity is how we get there. We can all individually understand our purposes, our individual purposes. And maybe we can win one or two to Christ on our own. But if we're united, if we're all together working as one, imagine the impact that we can make together. Unity is our vehicle for getting to our purpose. Not individually but corporately, as a body. Remember, God is the God of individuals and the God of nations. He can fit your individual gifts and talents into the larger tapestry of the church. He's so much bigger than that. We can trust him with that. We have to stop acting like outsiders because we're in now. I used to be an outsider, but now I am united you don't have to be the same as everyone else, but you have to be united. And there are three ways that we sometimes allow ourselves to get out of sync, to come out of unity with the church. And maybe the biggest one, but the first one we're going to focus on today is secrecy. Secrecy. Now, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. Each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There are lots of hints throughout the word about how the body of Christ should function. 
But this is one where we can use each other for healing. You go to God for forgiveness, but you go to God's people for healing. It doesn't say confess your faults to God. It says confess your faults to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Secrecy comes between us. It actively works against unity. We're meant to confide in each other, to encourage each other, to confess our stuff to one another so that we can move past it. But you're always going to be as sick as your secrets. If you cannot trust the body of Christ, you're going to stay stuck in that thing. And secrecy has a way of gaining power over you. It pulls you in little by little, right? It convinces you that everybody's going to know and they're all going to hate you for it. Or they'll never be able to fully understand, right? And so it, it marginalizes you. It makes you back away from the body of Christ instead of leaning in where you should be, in your purpose, united under one body. You don't have to tell everybody. In fact, you shouldn't tell everybody. But tell somebody. Confess your stuff to one another so that you give away the power of that thing. You don't have, you actually take back the power of that thing. You don't have to be controlled by it anymore. Secrecy is deadly in the body of Christ. We have to confess it to each other. Otherwise, it's like a cancer and it begins to spread, right? We begin to think we're alone in this, that nobody else could possibly understand. But let me tell you what, your secret sin is almost never as secret as you think it is. The God of the universe has seen fit to give some of us the gifts of discernment. <laughs> we can see through it. And, and the people around you probably have a feeling if they don't know for sure. If it's big enough. The secrets have a way of finding themselves out, right? Sin has a way of finding itself out. If people don't know now, they will eventually. That's what it does. It's secrecy. It, it, takes over your whole life until you're serving that thing. You can't get away from it. And everybody's going to know anyway. God already knows anyway. You're not hiding it from everyone anyway. Confess that thing. Get out from under it. Take control back and be united with the body of Christ. The second one is stubbornness. Now this is more sin that's not necessarily secret, but you're still allowing it in your life. Everybody knows I'm a very prideful person. I've always been that way. I'm never going to change, right? Well, if you know it's there and it's getting in the way of other things, fix it. Fix it. The Bible actually calls stubbornness, uh, how does it say? It's, it's similar to the sin of witchcraft because they are both ways of manipulating other people, both ways of digging your heels in and say, divorce me then, Right? I'm never going to change, so you have to. Stubbornness. Manipulating other people to get your way. We know we have a pride problem, but that's just the way it is. We know we have a lust problem, a greed problem. We know we put things above God all of the time. We're just unwilling to do anything about it. <laughs> Are you going to wait till you get sick enough? Or it takes over your life? To do something about it when you could do it now. Stop being stubborn. <laughs> Submit 
to the body of Christ. Allow people to disciple you. Allow them in. The Bible actually talks about accepting discipline as a gift. Right? A wise person accepts discipline, loves discipline. Most of us rebel against it. We're just too darn stubborn to think that God could possibly know us better than we know ourselves. Secrecy and stubbornness come between us and unity with the body of Christ. And the third is selfishness. This one is a little bit tougher to see in yourself because we usually feel entitled to our selfishness. But it's pretty easy to see in others. Right? It could be as simple as being here, being in the church, in these four walls, but not contributing anywhere. Or it could be withholding from your family, not seeing the things in your life as gifts to be worked for. And often our blessings come in the form of work, right? Just being a little selfish here, a little selfish there. But it's another one of those things that tends to build. If we allow a little selfishness here, it builds slowly in our life until it becomes a really big, annoying to everybody around you selfishness. The whole body suffers if we're not all using our gifts and talents to serve each other. Just like a marriage suffers if each partner doesn't use their gifts and talents properly. Right? We tend to want to beat each other down sometimes and make each other conform to who we want them to be. We should be celebrating our differences, using our gifts and talents, and it's the same with the body of Christ. Each of us need to be using our gifts and talents and not allowing selfishness to hold us back. Secrecy, stubbornness, and selfishness get in the way of us being unified. You used to be outsiders, Now you're unified. Now you're in unity with the body of Christ. Uh, Basically, I think what I'm saying here is get over yourself. As an outsider, you worried only about yourself, right? But you're not an outsider anymore. As an insider, we treat others the way we want to be treated. We love each other, laying down our lives for each other. We see others as better than ourselves. That's what it means to be an insider now. Stop acting like an outsider when you've been brought in. I used to be an outsider, but now I am united. And here's why all of this is important. Verse 20 goes on to say, together we are his house. Together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. This is why we have to get rid of secrecy, stubbornness, and selfishness. Because none of that can exist in a holy temple for the Lord. But don't you love that God didn't say you can only be unified if You're already a holy temple for the Lord. He said, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. He is working in each and every one of us to perfectly lead us to this. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are his house. 
this is why this is important. You know, in the Old Testament, the temple was like a beacon. It was meant to be like a, a lighthouse on a hill, drawing all the people of the world to this one place in the world where they could come and meet with the one true God. The Jewish people were meant to be a city on a hill, a light to them, drawing them in. They were meant to be a holy and blessed people, showing outsiders a better way. But they failed a lot. Over and over and over again, they lost focus. They lost their obedience. They kept failing. But now we have Jesus making all of us his temple. If we just call on his name, claim his blood in our lives, he now resides in us. He resides in you. We are his house now. We are his temple now. You know that feeling you get when you enter a house, a new house, somebody's house for the first time? You know, you, you almost make some snap judgments about it, like immediately stepping in the front door. You assess things. You look around, you get a feel for the place, right? You can usually tell immediately if you're going to click with the people living there or not. We all do it, right? Their house, their knickknacks, where they put their shoes, it's all a little bit representative of, of the people living there. There are characteristics to a home. Is it peaceful or chaotic? Is it loud or quiet? Is it neat or cluttered, right? You can tell some things about the people living there just by seeing the way that they live. We are those knickknacks in the house of God. I don't know about you, that makes me squirm a little bit, <laughs> right? If I am his temple, I give off an air of who he is because I am his house. So every single person that I come in contact with, they can immediately make assumptions about the God that we serve based on my behavior. Yeah. Uh, anybody thinking about some like road rage moments right now or like grocery store moments you wish you could take back? <laughs> right? Because that's what we are. We are his house. And you can make some assumptions about God based on his followers' behavior. We are his house. This is why we have to get over the secrecy and the stubbornness and the selfishness, and we have to become one body, each of us giving our different gifts and talents and abilities, being diverse but walking in the same spirit, his spirit, not our own. The bottom line is we are his house, not me or Jason or Aaron, or the music, or the preaching, or anything coming from the stage, or the pastoral title. We are his house. We are a kingdom of priests. This is why we have to be fluent in the gospel, every single one of us, because I can't do this on my own, and I won't. It's not my job to sustain the church on my own, although I usually try. That's sort of my personality. I try to do it all myself, but I will only kill myself, my family, and the church trying to do it all myself. And God has called me to them first, by the way. The priority structure of relationships in my life is God, my husband, my kids, and then y'all. And it's important that it stays that way. I will not sacrifice them for you because it won't work anyway. If I sacrifice my relationship with God, my relationship with my husband and kids and the church doesn't work. 
I sacrifice my relationship with God and my husband, my kids and the church doesn't work. It flows down that way. It all has to work in order for my relationship with the church to work. We should all have that relationship priority structure in our lives. I will not sacrifice them for you because it won't work anyway. If I try to do it on my own, it will only stunt the church anyway. We are his house, not me. We care for each other. We serve each other. We check in on each other. We encourage each other. Don't look to me to do it all. I can't, and I won't. We are a new temple. Jesus created a new humanity, a new way of living when he came. He created the church. He was the first person in the Bible to utter the word iglesia in Greek. He used that word in a new way. He built the church with himself as the cornerstone. And instead of stubbornness and and selfishness and secrecy being our characteristics, we now have new characteristics as his house. Ephesians 5 goes on to say, in verse 19, we can see in just a couple of verses, four characteristics of his house. One of those, the first one, it says in verse 19, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among ourselves. We sing together. The second one is similar. We make music to the Lord in our hearts. Can you see the amazing beauty of God in the fact that of this list of four characteristics of God's house, the first two are music? Isn't that beautiful? We're meant to bring salt and light to the world, to flavor the world, to be good to it, to make things better than the way we found it. And here... We're meant to make music, too, to bring beauty into the world. When I think of music, a a house filled with music, I think of a, a fun, peaceful, happy house. That's how the kingdom of God is meant to be. I have this sign on my wall at home that says, it says, those who wish to sing will always find a song. That's how I want our church to be. That's how I believe his church should be. Always with a song on their lips, celebrating what God is doing, bringing beauty and life back into the world. Not only singing old songs, hymns and spiritual songs, but making music to the Lord in our hearts. Making music, writing songs, singing new songs to him. That is what our church is called to. These are new characteristics of his house. Two of them are music. A third says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we meant to bring beauty and life to the world, but in doing so, we're meant to thank God for everything. And wasn't that the message of battles? Right? Half the messages from last year were thanking God in the valleys and in the mountaintops, in the good times and in the bad, when, when the storms are raging and when there's calm seas. Thank God in everything because he is in control. As insiders, we now have access to that hope. We don't have to be stuck in the past, in the muck from the sin. We get to see hope if not in this life, in the next. So there's always something to be thankful for, whether I'm sick or whether I'm healthy. 
right? Whether I'm in debt or whether I'm free. Anytime throughout my life, I am to be thankful because he's got this. I don't have to. He cares more about my family than I do. He cares more about this church than I do. Why wouldn't I trust him with it? I get to be thankful in the good times and in the bad while making music to the Lord in my soul. And the fourth characteristic of God's house is humility. Not only am I meant to thank God for everything, good times and bad, and making the world a beautiful place, but I'm also meant to think of others as better than myself. Putting others above myself, elevating them, cheering them on. I don't have to go around telling everybody how great I am. It's actually quite liberating. He's got that part. I don't have to worry about my reputation. He's got that part. All I have to do is follow him, putting others above myself and let him do the rest. These are the characteristics of God's house, but you are God's house. All of these things add up to our purpose. Our identity as a church is to be a vibrant, passionate, selfless people. But it's not for no reason, and it's not for just us alone. We're meant to share that vibrancy, that passion, and that selflessness with the world. We are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church so that we can change the world with the message of the gospel. We can't do that without being who we are called to be. And the bottom line of all this is we have to get over ourselves to do it. Dying to our sinful and selfish natures getting past the secrecy, the stubbornness, and the selfishness so that we can walk in unity so that we can preach the gospel, remembering who we once were and what God has brought us into. We've got souls to save, people. We've got a job to do on this earth. There's more out there dying in sin, outsiders without a place to belong in this world, unable to see their way out of the darkness. They're languishing in it. We have to get over ourselves, our selfishness, our stubbornness, our secrecy, because we've got souls to save. I have to understand who I am because I have souls to save. I have to understand the gospel because I have souls to save. My purpose in this life is bigger than just my freedom. There might be a thousand people waiting on the other side of my freedom that will be drawn to my light or yours. Drawn to your light and your freedom. And, and I have to get right because it's bigger than me. I was an outsider. Now I am united. We are his house. And we, as his people, must begin to act like his house because we have souls to save. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. thank Candice for preaching this first word of 2020 about our responsibility, our, our, our call, our, 
the importance that we reach out to a hurting and broken world with souls that are in need of salvation. And, and what was interesting, I took a few notes on this message. One of the things that really resonated with me is the concept that if this is his house, as a matter of fact, if I am his house and, and, and he is like, like my God, then, then this is his house and it's, it's my house, then it's our house. Okay? That means we're a family all in one house and we have one vision and we have one goal and that came back to that unity piece. So if it's his house, it's my house because he's my father. And, and how do I feel about my house? And then, that, then I thought back to being a part of like a wrestling team and like when we have like home advantage and you, you're in the locker room and the, the coach is trying to get you pumped up and it's like, they came into our house. And it's like this, this, this feeling. I, and, and then that made me realize how many times have I heard that? And I've heard that and I've heard that. And part of me wants to go, yeah, okay, it's our house. But I never once remember in that locker room being like, you said that last week, coach, that's not motivational. I remember going, that's right, it's our house. Because when you hear something you agree with and you agree out loud, you encourage yourself in it. And that's, that's what I want to start doing more of this year. It's my house. So, so I believe if, if Candace says I'm, we're a vibrant church, I'm going to say, yes, we are. If, if she's like, we're passionate, I'm going to be like, come on. And if I need to be selfless, that means I can't care about myself. So this year, I want to be bolder in my declaration of who I am. And I want us to be bolder in our declarations of who we are. So I'm going to ask you, whose house is this? It's our house. Whose house is it? It's our house. So next week's going to be Epic Weekend. And we're going to bring people into his house which is our house, so that they can meet our God, who is our Father. Would you stand with me before we go from this place? Don't forget we have a special service, every service next weekend. Kids are gonna be coming in their, their superhero costumes and we'll have that 6 p.m. service. Before we go from this place, let's pray, seal this word, commit ourselves to no longer living in secrecy and stubbornness and in, in, in shame in these things anymore, but to move forward for God's house. Would you? pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that's been preached, this declaration that we've got souls to save, that we need to do this together, becoming more united, making it less about us and more about you this year, that we would be bold, declaring that this is your house. So God, make us bold. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Don't forget there's prayer available at the front. We love you. Have a great week.